One Hope Church. All right. Good morning. It is uh, nice to be here. It's not quite as hot today, and that is a blessing because we have had a hot summer here in Athens, Georgia. Um, we're going to continue this morning in John chapter 19. And so if you have your your Bibles, whether that's print or um, on your phone or tablet or whatever it is this morning, uh, if you might want to turn to John chapter 19. And just as we finished um, last week, we have the beginning of the uh, of the trial um, of, of Jesus, where Jesus is betrayed in the garden. Judas um, brings um, the soldiers and, and people with him. They are they arrest um, Jesus, take him to Annas, the um, who is really the the uh, one um, in charge, and his son-in-law is the high priest um, at that time, and then. Um, he's delivered over to Pilate, and we saw the beginning of that scene um, last week. And then Pilate, um, you know, has they have this tradition to release a, a prisoner, and um, the option there is to release Jesus or to to release a a notorious criminal um, named Barabbas. And the people say we want Barabbas to be the one who is freed, and that's where we ended up. Um, last week. And so let's just read the first few verses of John chapter 19. Um, Verse 1 says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to come this morning to look into your word. We pray that you would teach us from your word. But most of all, Lord, that um, our our hearts and and minds and the totality of, of who we are would come to the to the depths and to, to grip with this passage and to understand that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf that we might benefit. And so we come to you now and, and, and just ask that you would help us. And we're so thankful for the great salvation you've offered us through your son. And it hurts us to know what he had to endure on our behalf. But we're thankful this morning. And it's in your name, Jesus, we give you all praise and all glory. Amen. Just those first few verses, just, you know, imagine what Jesus went through. um, What Pilate had done to him. Even though Pilate believed that he was an innocent man. And yet had him scourged, yet had a crown of thorns put onto his head, yet the soldiers struck him, you know, in the face with their hands. And that's for an innocent man. See, in, in general, for most of the time, the, um, the, the Jewish people did not like Pilate's rule over them um, because they, they thought he was pretty brutal, because he was brutal. And yet in this case, they're going to use Pilate's brutality um, and political his desire for political expediency um, for their own their own means. So he brings Jesus back out and says, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. In verse five, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thrones and and the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, "Behold the man." And therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" And Pilate said to them, "You take him and crucify him, for I find 
no fault in him. The Jews answered him and said, we have a law and according to our law, he should die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And we'll stop there for a moment. But just imagine, again, that scene, Jesus being brought out. Remember these religious religious leaders who wouldn't go um, into the inside of where Pilate was, but would only meet him outside to discuss the matter because they didn't want to defile themselves before the Sabbath, yet desired murder. That's a pretty uh, horrific and, and terrible thing. And they cried out. They, they cried for blood. They cried for Jesus to be crucified. And Pilate, when he says, you know, you take him and crucify him, I no, find no fault in him. You know, the, then this is where Pilate gets really worried because the, they let it be known. You know, we want to we see him crucified because he claimed to be the son of God. You know, there's so many times when you're talking to people and they'll tell you, well, you know, Jesus didn't claim deity. I mean, he, he didn't claim to be more than a prophet or he didn't claim to be more than a good teacher. Well, why were they looking to put him on the cross? You know, it says here, this is why. You know, again, we've seen so many cases in, in um, you know, the, the Gospel of John where the deity, you know, Jesus has claimed deity. Uh, it's just time and time again. And so I would just encourage you when people make those claims to you or those, those statements and say, well, Jesus never claimed this, you know, never claimed to be God or he never claimed to be the son of God or he never claimed to be, you know, deity. What you need to do in that situation is to ask them, have you actually read or when is the last time you actually read the Gospel of John. Because what you find in those situations is that most people are just repeating what they heard somebody else say. They actually haven't done any of the homework themselves. They're making accusations against Jesus, but without any founding, because they've listened to ignorance and have been too lazy to do any real homework or real research themselves. And in those situations, people need to be called out on their ignorance and called out on their laziness, not in the sense of, oh, I got you. Oh, I'm winning the argument. That's not the point. The point is to actually get them to read the gospel of John. And sometimes people need to be provoked in such a way that will cause them to say, well, I actually better go and know what I'm talking about. I better know what I'm saying has some validity to it. And so in a, in a kind way, I'm not, we don't have to use any, we don't have to be harsh. <laughs> this is what happens sometimes when the, when the kids get in the, in the driver's seat in the parking lot. And then they don't know how to turn off when they've set a car alarm. <laughs> That's what we got going on right now, folks. <laughs> so we'll, we'll hold on for a second. <laughs> the funnier part, if anybody are, um, watching it on, that's, that's my family. So, you know, that's, uh, that's the, uh, the even better part of, of all of, all of that. One of my kids. Um, all good. So, but 
back to what we're saying there and the need to kind of push people in a in a loving, truthful and kind way to, hey, you know, if you're going to say, you know, something is false and, you know, do do a little bit of homework here, do a little bit of homework, actually read, um, you know, the claims that Jesus made before you're saying what he actually claimed or didn't claim. So just encourage you to be bold in your conversations, you know, in this this coming week and moving forward. Because now, you know, Pilate has more more fear concerning Jesus. And then Jesus, when he doesn't give him an answer, Pilate says, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you can have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. And so there's a in, a, in a certain sense, you know, that there's God who is over, over all. We can't even breathe without God. You know, we need to consider that. But then he says, and this can get misconstrued or a little bit mixed up sometimes, but when he says, therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin, who is he talking about? I think he's talking about, you know, the Jewish leaders that, that brought him, you know, to Pilate because they had the, the Torah. They had all the law and the prophets. They were the ones who knew you know, there were so, well, they were the ones who were supposed to know the true and living God and his commands and what he said and were supposed to understand the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And they should have recognized him when he came, but they didn't. So their sin was greater than Pilate's because they're the ones that are pushing and instigating for the crucifixion of Jesus. And then it says in verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So there's a tremendous irony in this part of the text, in this passage. Because again, remember, most of the Jewish people at this time desire their own political freedom. They desire independence. They desire to be free from, you know, Roman tyranny. They wanted to be an an autonomous nation. They wanted to live as they had before. And at this time, it's especially ironic because at this time of Passover is when they are remembering that God had delivered the Hebrew people out of 400 years of bondage in in Egypt and that against all human odds as an enslaved people up against you know the powerful Egyptian nation and army God provided this miraculous deliverance had you know raised up Moses and there's you know the 10 plagues and then you know they they leave Egypt and and they go into eventually they make it you know to the promised land. So the Passover is remembering God's great deliverance over a superior you know in terms of earthly terms a superior power. So the reason that you know Pilate is even usually in Jerusalem at the time of these feasts especially Passover is to kind of stamp down any possible rebellions and insurrections. Because this is a time when that fervor of we want to be a free people because this is our, I mean, think back to our history, kind of boils up among them. And yet, in order to get Jesus crucified, listen to what they said. If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So they're going to make an appeal of their allegiance and alliance with Caesar 
you know, with Rome, with the Roman Empire, in order to follow through and to see that Jesus indeed goes to the cross. That is a betrayal of who they were as a people. That is a betrayal of Moses, a betrayal of all the, the, all the prophets that had come before. It's a betrayal against Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I mean, it is a betrayal against all of these great prophets of God. And the ones who were entrusted to instruct the people in the way of the law and the prophets are the ones leading that betrayal. Verse 13. We'll see this continue. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your, your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Again, they get pushed on the point. You know, Pilate now kind of takes a bit of the offensive, like, do you, you know, is this really what you're saying here? And so he says, behold your king. And they say, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And again, the chief priests are, you know, the representatives, you know, of the people. They are speaking on behalf of the nation. And we have no king but Caesar is at minimal a denial of all the prophecies of the Messiah that there would be one who would sit on the king on the throne of David forever and ever. We have no king but Caesar is to deny all that God had promised them. And we see this is what, and I think there's just a little of this, you know, we, we want to stick to the, to the main points here, but there is a point here, you know, to be made that, that hatred blinds. When, when people have hate, it's hard for them to see truth. It's one of the reasons that we need to be very, very, very careful not to hate anyone, regardless of what we think about, you know, them or the things that they say or the things that they, they do. I need to verify the source, but there's a quote that's attributed to Booker T. Washington that said, I would never stoop so low as to let a man make me hate him. You know, hate is an emotion that is prevalent in our society today. See, Jesus calls us to love even our enemies. And what that means is to, to desire God's best and God's way for our enemies. So if you sit there with hatred in your heart toward anyone, well, then you can't see clearly. You won't see clearly truth and lies and sin and righteousness. It'll be all clouded and blinded by this thing we call hate. Folks, the only, you know, in scripture, we, we are told to hate sin, but we're told to love our enemies. There's a big difference between those two things. When you get it twisted, when you get it mixed up in your head and you start hating people instead of hating people's sin, you won't see clearly. You won't think clearly. 
You won't think logically. You won't think rationally. Because at this point, what we can say about the chief priests and the rulers and the people who are following them in this mob scene that we have going on here, they have lost their minds. They've lost their way. They've lost truth. They've lost mercy. They've lost justice. They've lost compassion. They have lost even a portion of their humanity. Because they have been blinded by hatred. If you find yourself tempted to hate someone, there's a solution. And that is to pray for God's best for that person. To pray that they would know the true and living God in a way that honors them. You might be praying for repentance of that person, but it's hard to hate someone you pray for. Listen, folks. The early in the early church, they were instructed to pray for people like Nero, who would burn them to light up his gardens. They were supposed to pray for him too. You know, and that prayer isn't like, oh, I just hope he has a great day and, and enjoys, you know, a cup of wine with his dinner this evening. That's not what we're talking about here. You know, that prayer could be, Lord, I pray that you would stop his, his, his wicked, the wickedness in his heart, you know, one way or another. But that, he, that it would be best for him now and for forever for his sin, you know, to, to cease. You know, our preference is repentance. But Lord, please stop the man. From the destruction of the innocent and destruction of the wicked. So you can pray still with truth and with justice and mind, even for the for the wicked. But folks, do not hate. Because hate will be a cancer in your own soul. And it will distort reality in your own mind. You don't want to find yourself anywhere close to what happens here when they say we have no king but Caesar. We want to be so, so, so far away from that, folks. So far away from that. You see, now... The political strings have been pulled. The pressure is on Pilate because he knows basically he has two options. At least this is what he believes in his mind, that he has two options. That either he's going to do what, what's right and release Jesus, and then there's going to be an insurrection and he's going to be recalled. He's going to lose his position. He's going to go back you know, to Rome um, with his head down in shame of not being able to do the job. Or he's going to have Jesus crucified and he can continue on. Now, just as, you know, we'll say it here and and, and then be, be done with it, but kind of the the interesting part there, it's not a few years later before Pilate actually does get recalled back to Rome, like what he had hoped to avoid. He just, he didn't, he didn't permanently avoid it. He just delayed it. He just delayed it. You know, he, he thought by doing wrong, you know, he could, he could buy their friendship and buy security and, and buy, you know, a, a, a comfortable career moving forward politically and that this would this would appease them and then he can you know just live out the next however many ever years in his position without problems well it didn't take too long 
before he finds himself in the situation that he, you know, did this to avoid. And, and, and there's just another practical application for us, folks. If we are afraid to do what's right today because of you know the outcome that's going to happen to us if we do the right thing you're kind of just delaying a lot of times you're just delaying the inevitable it's better to go through whatever you have to go through with your character intact Now, to be fair, in this situation, Pilate didn't have much of a character to begin with. You know, he didn't have like, you know, the strong moral compass or anything like that. He didn't have any great ethics to get him in the position that he found himself in. But obviously, it's different for you and me that if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a standard and you have a, a way that you're supposed to conduct yourself in this in this world. And sometimes because of that, you'll be in conflict with this world. And it's better for us normally to just take what's coming with our character intact than to delay what's coming and have to take it anyway. Verse 16, then he delivered them. He, he delivered him, that's Jesus, to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus away. They took Jesus and led him away. And Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, the two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written I have written. Stop there for a, a moment and just talk about that. So as they put Jesus to the cross and they write that Jesus of Nazareth. And remember, I, I, again, that, that, that question we find in the Gospels of can anything good come out of Nazareth? And here we see Jesus, you know, the Son of God going to the cross for our sins. And he's labeled here the, the King of the Jews. And it's... Um, you know, I, I really believe that, you know, obviously the Spirit of God was behind what Pilate, you know, had written there. That that wasn't necessarily like Pilate's, um, you know, great idea. But, but this is what, you know, needed to be written and therefore what was written. And it's neat that it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. It's like, hey... Everybody's going to understand, everybody in this area, because we have, you know, the local language, and then we have, you know, the, the languages of, of that, you know, whole part of the world. In Greek and in Latin, and so there's going to be no doubt for anybody in that area what is being said. That testimony is for all to know, and... You know, that, that testimony is for everyone to know in every language, you know, throughout the world today. And is why, um, you know, we're, we're mostly to, you know, people groups that have very few people that don't have, you know, the, the, all of the, the Word of God translated um, into, their, into their language. But that's even why there's such an, an emphasis even today to finishing that task. Because we need to know the Word of God. Everybody needs to be able to see it, read it, hear it in their own language. Jesus of Nazareth, the king 
of the Jews. And the king, hopefully of, of all of us, of you and me. You know, the, the chief priest didn't like that. They wanted said, this is what he, basically, this is what he claimed. They didn't want it stated as a, you know, a definitive statement of, of truth because, you know, they didn't want him to be king is the whole point. And so here it kind of gets stuck to them and probably, um, you know, this is why I say that I don't think Pilate, I think it's God's power that has Pilate write what he wrote because, you know, up until this point, you know, what Pilate is doing is for political expediency. And then this is like sticking it right back to the people he just did a favor for and creates conflict, which he was trying to avoid. So this goes against, you know, what he was was looking to do. But you know, I think the the power of God had it there, and for the the conviction for him to say, "What I have written, I have written," and to actually take a stand and to be strong in that moment may not have come from Pilate himself. Verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified him, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the, the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. And they said among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now, John is a you know, pretty humble writer. Um, you know, as this speaks about himself and the obligation that then he received from Jesus to take care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this, Jesus, knowing that all these things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. John, in, in his account of the crucifixion, is, um, you know, gives us some details that the other gospel writers do not give, but the other gospel writers also give us details that John does not give. And so if you want to see everything concerning the trials, you know, the whole trials of Jesus and, and where he was taken and who is he was in front of, you know, you have to use, you know, all the gospels. If you want to know everything that was said, you know, at the cross that we have record of, you have to use, you know, all four, um, you know, of the gospels. Um, but each one of them do give us a clear picture of what Jesus went through and what he suffered on our behalf and that he gave up his spirit. It was not taken from him because he had, he was the son of God and of all powerful. He could have stayed there and sustained himself and his you know physical body you know, ad infinitum, you know, to no end. In his deity, he could have done that. But that wasn't the point. The point was for him to suffer and to die and to pay for our sins. So he gives up his spirit. And before he does so, he says these great words that are so powerful for us, it is finished. And it has to have, it has that concept of it is paid. 
You know, it's been it's been paid for us. Now, whether because again, folks, here's the whole point. The ultimate reason Jesus went to the cross was to give his life as a ransom for us. To pay for our sins. So he paid for it and it's done and there's nothing we can do to add to that payment. We just have that simple decision of whether we receive the payment or reject the payment. You find so many people today and you say, well, how do you get to heaven? And they say, well, you know, basically, you know, you need to be a good person. And then you could ask that same person, do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? They go, oh, oh yes. I mean, I believe he died on the cross for our sins. But yeah, you have to be a good person. See, so it ends up with this mixture of things. It's like there's what Jesus did and then you've got to add some good stuff to it as if what Jesus did at the cross wasn't good enough for you. See, we've got the story, that, that, that story gets mixed up there. Because the reality is, we come to Jesus humble. If we're going to come to Jesus at all, we have to come to Jesus humble and broken. And on our knees, I mean, in, in the hearts, you know, the physical thing is, is less important. But I think that often happens, that it would physically drive you to your knees. But nonetheless, the heart has to be humbled and bowed before Say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm not righteous. I need you, Jesus, to save me or I perish. You see, and then what Jesus does is he saves you. That's his role. Like Jesus saves you. And then as you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. And you're made a new creation. And now you actually have a potential to live in such a way that honors and pleases God in your life. By walking in the Spirit. But folks, there is nothing we can do to add to what Jesus did at the cross to pay for our sins. He was the only one who could make a payment that would be received. He paid our price. So when somebody asks you, you know, are you going to, if you ask a person, you know, are you going to go to heaven? You know, what do you think happens to you when you die? If they turn around and ask you the same question, what's your answer? And if your answer isn't, hey, on my own, I certainly would go to hell. But Jesus died for me on the cross and paid my debt. And because I believed in him, I'm safe and secure in him. And I know where I'll be when I take my last breath. Folks, if that's not your answer, you got to reevaluate. Need to reevaluate. Have I met the true and living king? Or do I still think somehow that I'm going to be saved because of my own righteousness? And that's important to say. A recent there's a, a recent survey that said you know over 50 percent of people who claimed to be evangelical, and now that word means something really different than what it did when I was you know growing up, but. Anyway, 50% said, you know, to answer the question of, you know, do you just need to be good to go to heaven in the affirmative? Yes. Folks, again, there's a lot of, of culturally Christian people listening to church services online today, going in person today that need to be saved. Don't think that because somebody goes to, your, your, your neighbor goes to whatever church, you know, is, it goes to whatever church meetings, or is a member of whatever church, don't just assume that your neighbor, because of that, is going to heaven when they die. 
Folks, for us, that would be a foolish assumption. I'm not going to assume if you you come to, you know, you're part of One Hope. You come to One Hope every Sunday. The fact that you're here every Sunday has nothing to do with you being saved. You know what we're going to say? At judgment, you know, why should God let you in? Well, you know, I, I, I was, you know, at, at One Hope, you know, 48 Sundays out of a year for five years. So let me in. What? Folks, you missed the message. I, hopefully nobody here thinks that. I don't think anybody here thinks that. But we got to be real clear. It's Jesus who saves. We'll wrap this up here in a minute. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and then they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Again, you know, the the Jewish leaders more concerned about the formality and about keeping the Sabbath and keeping the letter of laws than they were the greater issues of justice and mercy and love and truth and all of those things. And so crucifixion is actually a death by suffocation. When people are were hung on the cross, they had to push themselves up in order to breathe. Then you'd exhale and you know the body would slump and then take another breath. You have to push yourself up to breathe. And somebody could do that for a very long time, particularly if the scourging that they received before they went to the cross wasn't, it had its different levels of severity. If someone had a severe scourging, they usually would die quicker on the cross. But if they didn't have a severe scourging, I mean, they could last a pretty long time. I mean, a whole day, 24 hours, um, maybe more in that condition. It's a, it's a brutal, brutal death. But if a person's legs were broken, they could no longer push themselves up and they would die pretty quickly. So for the two thieves on the cross, one on each side of Jesus, that's what they did. But remember, Jesus had already given his spirit and there were testimony. You know, they probably already thought he was dead because, you know, he's no longer pushing himself up. If a person on the cross was still alive... If you observe for a few minutes, you would know whether they were still alive. So Jesus had the appearance of being dead, so they didn't um, immediately go to break his legs and the soldier pierces his side. But this is also, again, that the scriptures will be fulfilled. This is one of the reasons why his death had to be by crucifixion and not by stoning. When Stephen was martyred and the stones are hitting his body, you know, his bones are breaking But we see all these different prophecies that are being fulfilled. And we finish with this, verses 38 through 42. And after this, Joseph of of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bring a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices 
as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been yet laid. And so there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. That's um, sobering. You know, we've had this horrific scene and then you have something, I think, you know, pretty beautiful here in these last few verses. With the care, the you know, Joseph of Arimathea had been secretly a disciple. But after what he's witnessed, he can't stay secret anymore. Now he's going to be known. See, now he's willing to take the risk of being associated with Jesus. And what's interesting is that the the death of Jesus gave him a stronger conviction and what he had already borne witness to up to that point and already being a follower of Jesus, but now even seeing the crucifixion and witnessing the scene, and remember that what John doesn't make mention of there, the sky going dark for three hours like it's the middle of the night. The earthquake. The, the, the other, you know, words of Jesus, the, te- the, the testimony of, you know, the, the two thieves, one who, you know, did not believe in the one who did. And he's even more convinced and is willing to be bold and to be associated with Jesus at what we could rightly argue was the riskiest point to do such a thing. And then Nicodemus, also, who came at night, John chapter 3. Why did he come at night? Because he was fearful. Because he was a Pharisee. Because he's a Pharisee who's sitting there going, I think he actually might be the Messiah. And we see that his life is also forever changed. So we see here in the midst, because really these these two, both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, were in that group of religious leaders. But they were willing to go against the crowd. They were willing to go against the mob and to take a stand with Jesus when it obviously could cost them very much. And we see their true faith in that situation. And that's a powerful testimony of us today. See, this is at the moment when the, you know, the wrong side thinks it's had, has had victory and where there are very few disciples and the odds are a hundred percent against them. And they have every reason to, to think like we've now been defeated. Our king is dead. Our savior is dead. Like what has happened? And yet in that time, we see the courage of Joseph of Arimathea and of Nicodemus. And hopefully that spurs us on because we get the full picture after the resurrection, after Pentecost, we see the power of God move in the church and and throughout the world. And we have testimony of all that. And so folks, when things are, when we're, when we find ourselves in situations where we're in a group of people and the majority of them are against Jesus or the system is against Jesus as it was here. May we take courage from Joseph of Arimathea and from Nicodemus and say, I can stand up and do something bold as they did. I don't have to live in fear. May God help us not to live in fear.
scripture says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. May we see the spirit of power and of love and of sound mind that drove Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to be bold for the just crucified Jesus in order to take his body and to prepare it. May God help us whenever the odds are stacked against us or whenever there is animosity toward the name of Jesus to be willing to be known as those associated with him. Because forever, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus would be associated with Jesus. May we always be willing to have our names put right there with the name of our Savior and of our King, whether that is popular or unpopular, whether that is safe or risky. May God help us to be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And as we look at the guilt of Pilate, as we look at the guilt of the chief priest, help us not to forget that it was also our sins as Jesus went to the, to the cross to pay the debt for sins past, present, and future. That it was also out of love for us that you sent your son to the cross. In this, you demonstrated your love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, we're so thankful that you were willing to take that cup and the fullness of it. That you were willing to be humiliated and beaten and crucified so that by, our, by your stripes, we could be healed, that our debts could be paid. Jesus, as we take the bread and the cup this morning, we remember you, please remind us of the cost. Help us to confess our sins, Lord, you know mine are many. Confess our sins to you and that we would take of that bread and that cup with joy, with gladness of hearts. We're thankful this morning, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.